0: Sunday, and I think next, I'm going to be talking about what I have entitled, How to Be a Good Kid. Uh, if you had your Bibles this morning, turn Daniel chapter 1. Daniel was a good kid, one of two people in the Old Testament to whom there is no sin attributed at all. Neither he nor Joseph have any record of them ever sinning. Now we know they did, of course, there's still no record of it. But when it comes to righteous children, righteous teenagers young 20-somethings in the bible it's hard to be daniel and so we'll be taking our text from daniel chapter one today i'll be covering the entire chapter um key verses from the chapter will be on the screen but i didn't put all the verses on the screen so i encourage you to follow along in daniel chapter one how to be a good kid and also of course to be a better adult and so i i really feel that i want to spend some time looking in the text and picking up some principles from what God has recorded for us from the life of Daniel. Because here's, here's my big idea. Can you imagine how your life would be today if you were one of the two children being baptized this morning? That at the age of 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, you have the courage and the conviction of your belief to talk to your mom and dad and say that I would like to make a public profession in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That I would actually like to add to my faith a level of obedience. That I want to actually do something in accordance to Scripture. It's one of the two commandments that we have from Jesus that we're supposed to do regularly. We're supposed to celebrate communion together and we're supposed to be baptized. And so can you imagine how uh, your life might have gone differently if you were one of those two children? Can you imagine how your life might have gone differently if when you were in middle school or high school under the guidance of an amazing man of God... You are actually enacting and put together suits and nuts from from nothing, including the funding for an outreach that's designed to engage as many children from the community, young men, women, and their families as possible. Can you imagine if you were part of a youth group like that? That from the time you were in middle school, think about middle school for a moment and think about what's normal for our River Youth. Yesterday, they were rehearsing and getting ready to present presentation and the tournament that they're going to do this afternoon in the park, can you imagine if that was your life? Can you imagine if in middle school or high school you were making those kinds of memories over the July 4th weekend? So what did you do this weekend? Well, my family went to the cave. That would be awesome. My family hung around and watched Stranger Things. We watched all of Stranger Things. Okay, that would be awesome too. I, I worked together with some other high school and, and, and middle school students and we We just went for it and presented the gospel and a church invitation in a local park during the 4th of July celebration. Like, that's not my story of middle school. That's not my story of high school, but that's actually normal for River Youth. Like, that is just so moving. That is so powerful. Can you imagine? And so, this big idea of how can you be a good kid, we, we have some really good. You know, we have some really amazing children that are the products of their mom and dad, of course, pouring into them, and, and the people that love them here, their aunts and uncles of the faith, River kids and River youth workers, and so we have good kids. This sermon is not about how to reform the terrors that attend River Church. That's not what this sermon is about at all. This sermon is about how to confirm what we're already seeing in the young men and women of this church just this weekend of, of how we're celebrating Uh, what God is doing in our young men and women, and, of course, in the process, how to become better adults as well. Beginning in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 1, the text begins, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashkenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defects, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language. And literature. pause there for a moment. I'd like to just make a couple of observations of the text so far. Please understand that the best biblical scholarship that we have, when the Bible says young men that were taken, it means young men. It's probably not referring to someone in their late 20s or early 30s. Uh, It's probably referring to someone in their late teens and early 20s. And so we know that Daniel, as a young man, was uprooted from his home, most likely in Jerusalem as part of the lower nobility of Israel at that time. And according to the text we know that he was separated from his family, he was separated from his culture, he was separated from his language, and as the text is going to go on to say, he was separated from his name. That every single thing that he had to pin his identity was radically upended, was radically flipped on its ear. And, and, and this was normal for Daniel. He never comes back home. The text goes on to say at the end of chapter 1 that he stayed in captivity until the reign of Cyrus, which is where the story of Esther picks up. The nation of Israel is still living in captivity. All of Daniel's life, 70 some odd years, he spent in captivity, save the first 15 or so when he was a young man. It was very possible, and here's the first big idea this morning, it was very possible that God's plan for his people, Israel, to remove them from the land because of their sin, to send them in captivity in honor of the prophetic prophecies that were made about the consequences of their sinful behavior, it's very possible that God's sovereign plan for his people could have felt like personal punishment to Daniel. He's a 15, 16, 17, 18, 20 at the most year old man. He's removed from everything that you and I would consider normal. You know, if if this kind of thing had happened to us at his age, we would say things like PTSD. We would say things like a lifelong therapy. We would say things like, well, you understand how I went off the rails because of this tragic backstory. It's very understandable that God's sovereign plan for the nation of Israel could have felt like a personal punishment or personal persecution to Daniel. And yet it wasn't. It was God's plan for the nation. And so my first thing to say to teenagers and middle school students uh, from the text here is that your time of life is not a torment. Your time as a teenager is not God's judgment on your life. The time that you have under your parents' authority in their household is not because God hates you. It's actually just the way things go. There God does not judge us when we are in different times of life. And there is a lot of stress. When we're younger, we want to spend time with our mom and our dad. We want to be read bedtime stories by them. We want to be physically close to them. But as we get older, that starts to feel a little stifling. It starts to feel like they're kind of all up in our business. Like, why would the state of Connecticut give me a driver's license if my parents aren't going to allow me to use it? And the answer is because it's not actually your car and you're still on there. Don't get over it, but it starts to feel like, you know, how do you want me to express my maturity and wisdom to, to, to be who you've designed me to be, to be who you've parented me to be, if I have no actual control over my bedtime, if I have no actual control over who I hang out with, if I have no actual control over when the vehicle is available to me. It can feel like personal persecution. It's not. It's just a time of life. It's called being a teenager. And so, What we see from the text is that Daniel had an opportunity to feel like God was smiting him with great and it really had nothing to do with Daniel at all. It was God's sovereign plan for the nation of Israel. Here's the reality. Daniel probably had a much nicer life in captivity than he would have had living under siege. That's just a painful reality. That he had a level of affluence and influence, as the text goes on to indicate, that he would have never had as a lower noble Living in Jerusalem, especially under siege. What we know from the years of captivity is that the, the only the poorest of the poor and the most desperate remained in the land and it was a hard scrabble existence. And while we would never wish for a young man to be separated from his family during his formative teenage years, the reality is that Daniel probably experienced a better quality of life living in captivity than he did living in Jerusalem. God's plan for his people had nothing to do with punishing Daniel because of the time of life that he was in. And so today as a teenager as a middle school student, as a high school student, your time of life is is not a torment. It's just a time of life. For for adults you might have a number of children that are currently in diapers and feel like God is smiting you. No, you actually did that to yourself. We can have that conversation if you're not clear, but you know All of the children that you have in your house that are currently tormenting you, you actually did that to yourself. It's not a torment. It's a season of life. Uh, You know, for those of us who are getting into middle age and even beyond, uh, things that we used to take for granted about how we feel or how we uh, physically or mentally or how our eyes work or how our ears work, these things start to fade in time. And you know it's a possibility and then it starts to happen to you. And it can feel like, Man, this is really impacting my finances. This is impacting my ability to engage with my family. This is impact- it's embarrassing to me as a guy to not be able to do things around the house that I used to be able to do and enjoy. And we start to feel tormented by these things. It's not a personal torment from God. It's just a phase of life. It's a stage of life. And so there's a, there's a powerful thought here for all of us that God moves in ways through our time and in our culture and in our life for his sovereign purposes, but that doesn't mean that we are going to because we happen to be in one of those phases of life. So teenagers, you guys are doing a great job here at River Church. I'm looking forward to this time next week. Uh, On Monday morning, we're taking, I believe, 11 or 12 students up to camp. We're going to camp. It's been an amazing time. Not every student was able to go, but uh, the teens of this church are doing an amazing job. I want to encourage you. Teen years can be challenging. Teen years can be difficult, but don't view your time as a teenager as of God, believe it or not, you will be free from your parents before you know it, and you'll be up and running. And you will actually look back with a certain wistfulness and sweetness, and you'll, with greater understanding and wisdom, of all the things that your mom and your dad were actually providing for you, that now you're trying to hustle to figure out how to do for yourself. Daniel was not being personally punished by being removed from his family; it was part of God's sovereign plan. Continuing in the text, the king assigned them in verse five. Daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Among them, from the descendants of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them other names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. They received names that were reflective of the pagan gods. That culture. Bel was one of the gods that was being worshipped in that culture, as was me um, And so you can see some of the names were changed to reflect the pagan entities that they were now to honor and glorify. Everything was taken from these young men. Join me in verse 8. However, Daniel determined that Or with the wine he drank. I I want you to understand in order to to wrestle with and fully appreciate this next big idea in the text is that Daniel, like a teenager, uh, you might feel this way, had no control over his life. He was not in control of where he was living. He was not in control of the language that he had to speak. He was not in control of the material that he had to learn and memorize. He could not access internet. He was being designed and trained to be the kind of a guy that when the king had to make a decision regarding the ruling of his kingdom, which at that time was the largest in the known world, the the king had to be able to access data like this. And by access data, it means actually talk to people who knew stuff. And so the stuff that Daniel had to learn, he had to memorize. He had no control over this whatsoever. There was no referencing of books or the internet, there was referencing of wise people who had been trained with certain knowledge that they were expected to recall at the king's wish and whim. He had no control over that. He had no control of ever going home again. He had no control over his name. The text continues to refer to him as Daniel, but that's a kindness to us for the rest of his life. He was known as Belteshazzar. And if you're to go through the book of Daniel, you will see that he continues to be micromanaged throughout the rest of his life. When he prays, how he prays, where he prays. You're familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's tent. You can call it micromanaging. I guess that's an understatement. And so Daniel had no control over his life. And I think that's the way a lot of us feel when we are younger. As young men and young women. And we may even feel that way as adults to a certain degree as well. But please note what the text says. That Daniel determined. Daniel decided. Daniel decided. Found a way to obey. He said, you know what you can't do? Unless you're going to force feed me. I am not gonna partake in the food that is from the king's table. Thank you. But number one, it's literally unclean as far as the Jewish culture went. It was not prepared according to Jewish culture. The blood may have not been thoroughly removed from the meat. There may have been types of meat, shellfish and pork and rabbit. Uh, It may come from cuts of meat that Jews were not allowed to eat according to the Old Testament law. And at the very least, it was dedicated to one of the numerous false gods that they served in that time and age. And so Daniel said, for a number of reasons, I'm not going to eat from the king's table. Daniel took the one area in his life where he could control and said, with this one area of my life that I can control, I will obey. I will Find a way. Change my name. Change my language. Change the content going into my brain. Change my clothes. Change the city that I live in. Remove me from my family. I will not view this as personal persecution. I will find a way to obey God with arguably one of the few things he can control. Unless you're going to force me. I'm not going to partake of this food that was not prepared according to my uh, Old Testament understanding and I'm not going to eat this food that was So the text continues. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official, yet he said to Daniel, My lord the king assigned your food and drink. I'm afraid of what would happen if he saw your faces looking thinner than those of the other young men your age. You would endanger my life with the king. Some of you are looking thinner, and I've actually commented on it work, in our culture to look thinner we like celebrate that That, that's not always the case in this culture having a nice full face body, figure means that you're not a field worker it means that you're not a trades guy, it means that you're not a servant, it means that you have the luxury of not exercising physically, it means you have the luxury of not being burnt by the sun it means of having the luxury of being paid for or sustained for the things that your brain does not your body and so a certain something something on your frame meant there was a status and so to say my looks like you've gained a few pounds this is what they're looking for this is still true in some cultures today having been a missionary in the mid to late 90s through the country of Haiti it was a common greeting and I've mentioned this before common greeting in church or amongst friends and families, to say the exact opposite of what I said a number of times this morning. Maybe hey, you put on a few pounds. Still happens to this day in hey. Haiti. Why? Because it means you have enough money to feed your family. That you're not scrawny and skinny and sorry. And so, I know it sounds strange for our North American ears, but this guy who was in charge of all the young men from Jerusalem, he was looking for a certain, he was looking to see weight gain. He was looking to see a certain plumpness, because these guys were being designed to work not in the fields, but with their brains. You would endanger my life with the king. Continuing in verse eleven, so Daniel, if I was, if you were skinny, I don't want to come back and see you. Oh, it looks like you've lost some weight. That's just American to say that. Nobody else says that. Everybody else wants to see a little something, something. Verse eleven. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they look better and healthier than all the young men who are eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove only area, or one of the few areas that I can actually control, I will use it to obey. I will use it to honor God. Interestingly enough, what does the New Testament, what does the Bible say regarding food? About the way that Daniel obeyed God in this particular context. There are people who would advocate for vegetarianism because of this text. There are people, There's the Daniel diet. You can go and do the Daniel diet. Eat vegetables and drink water and you'll probably lose weight. Daniel gained weight on that diet. So think about that. Before you do the Daniel diet, you might actually gain weight. Uh, What does the Bible say about food and all of the uh, Hebrew laws about food? The answer can be found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 10, in this, what Jesus says. Uh, We know that food is now considered clean because of this statement and others. Jesus says, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? The passage goes on to say, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, but eating with unwashed hands or other kinds of food doesn't defile a man. And so New Testament Christians did not observe the Jewish customs and laws regarding food preparation and food consumption. There's nothing wrong with following them. Kosher, we would call it. But it is not commanded of us today. And so it doesn't make any sense for us to to say, well, I'll just go on the Daniel diet. Uh, That's not actually the point of the text. The point of the text is that Daniel found a way to obey in one of the few areas that he had control of his life. If we are to see the area that we are to a good clue in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 for young men and women today. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Daniel took control, and here's the principle that we can pull from the text in this part of Daniel's life. Daniel took control and chose to obey of what he was consuming. I just laid out the case. While you could Probably say food really isn't the New Testament application for us as a church because Jesus says it goes in, it does its thing, and it goes out. We could all eat healthier to get that, but what goes into our heart and what comes out of our heart is way more important than what goes into our mouth because what comes out of our heart is a byproduct. Bi- what comes out of our mouth is a byproduct bi- of our heart, and so I would say that the big idea is not so much well I'm just going to eat vegetables teenager, I'm going to make this decision of faith, you know, my mom and dad can micromanage my whole life, but I can control what I put in my mouth unless they force feed me, which they did for a few years in realize, to so think about that. What we did, we can do again if we have to, but it's not so much about choosing to be whatever your special diet is as a teenager, it's more about guarding what is yours to guard. It's more about choosing what we consume specifically with our eyes and our We live in a culture where it's not so much about consuming different kinds of food anymore. We see that from the New Testament text. It's more about what we choose to entertain ourselves with. It's more about what we choose to watch. It's more about what we choose to hear. It's more about how we choose to use our screen time. And the big idea here. that way, by guarding what you, only you can guard, by being very choosy about what you decide to consume, and I'm not talking about junk food, I'm talking about screen time, TV time, app time, game time, conversation time, peer time, that you have the right, even under your parents' control, to have a certain degree of autonomy. text is, in that area of your life, choose to obey. Do not give away what only you can guard. Do not create memories for yourself. I began this time this morning by saying, speaking to the adults, can you imagine what your life would be like today if you had the memories that you as young people are making today? And there's a certain wisdom they gave away what they should have been guarding. They consumed what they should have chosen to reject. And to this day, there are adults who are looking in the eye. That's why I started with that phrase, can you only imagine if you were the middle school or high school student who was going under the waters of baptism today at the hands of your dad. What if you had that memory? Because as adults, sometimes we did not guard what only we can guard. And we consumed what we should not have consumed. We did not choose to obey. In the few areas that we had control, we rebelled. We embraced. And so, it is our desire as adults, and I kind of feel like all the adults in the room are saying like, right now, Pastor Josh, you preach, buddy. You preach. Because for our middle school and high school students, choose to obey and guard what is Day and you know that, and, and we have, and this church again is filled with kids. You guys are making amazing memories. But I just want to encourage you from the text, like Daniel, do not give away what is only yours to guard. What your eyes. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. That statement right there, that Daniel understood visions and dreams of every kind, that is valuable in today's context. As you can see, what I'm doing with the text is I'm having to bring some New Testament principles into the Old Testament so that we can talk about today's culture, even though it's talking about a culture that was 500 years talking about food sacrifice to idols and I'm making the comparison through the New Testament that I'm talking about screen time you see how I'm trying to bridge that gap no gap in this verse can you imagine someone today who can interpret dreams and visions like they would be the ultimate uh, they would be wanted by every hedge fund they'd be wanted by every government in the world to have the kind of wisdom that God gave Daniel you don't have to bridge the hermeneutical you don't have to bridge the hermeneutical text here, right? The pastor does do a lot of work to make this point pop. This guy can interpret dreams and visions. What? Like, talk about being a, um, the word case, a consultant who can interpret dreams and visions. So this is the kind of power. It translates culture and time. The kind of power and blessing that God gave to At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to serve in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviner priests and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. In your text, a little note next to 10 times better. The Hebrew word used there is actually referring to 10 hands. What Daniel put his hands to is as if he had 10 hands. Theoretically, Spider-Man has the strength of how many men? Marvel geeks? According to the Marvel canon, Spider-Man, how many many men? What strength is? has the strength of spider eight men holy cow for real you don't know that according to the original marvel canon spider man has the strength of eight men spider man eight men it's not all just web shooters people holy cow you got some homework to do when Daniel put his hands to a task it says if ten men he had the strength of ten hands. Hey Daniel, can you help me lift this? Yes, I can. It's as if ten men were lifting it. Except it didn't work with his body, right? He had a little something-something in his face, Chuck Cheeks, right? we look for that in our wise guys in 500 years B.C.? What we're looking for? Daniel, I have a problem to solve. It's as if, it's as if ten wise guys just showed up. Because the text is referring to the power of the why it says ten times. But the word in Hebrew is literally saying ten hands. It's as if you're arm wrestling Daniel and you're arm wrestling ten guys at the same time. That kind of strength. When he put his mind to something, it was as ten men were putting their minds to something. He was ten times wiser than any of the other guys that derived their wisdom through the study of the magical arts and the best literature of the time. This was the degree that God and his faithful friends. God gave them this gift. He made them ten times in efficacy. As we move into a time of communion, I just want to quickly review what we've covered, and then I want to kind of pray through the rest of the day with this idea in our mind regarding our young people. And so we've seen from the text that just because we're a teenager, we're not being personally tormented by God. We've also seen that in the limited areas where we, as young people, have to obey, and this applies to adults as well, because we know that we don't have as much control as we'd like, that we can choose to obey. That there are areas in our lives that we can choose to obey, regardless of the constraints on our time and our resources, and that we—and one of the ways that we can obey is by not giving away what only we can guard—the areas where we are. And chapter 1, how to be a good kid and to even be a better adult. And finally this morning, understanding the power of God's gifts as he blesses young men and women who have stepped forward in obedience. And so we're going to go into a time of communion. Today is a special day for River Church. We are celebrating the two ordinances that are given to the New Testament Church, the first being communion, the second being baptism, and just an hour or so or less as we transfer to the property. But here's the prayer that I encourage us to Vince, your can come on up and help me wrap up our together today. Is this. What would it look like if, as, as adults, who understand the power of the text that I just walked us through today? Because we can't imagine. We can't imagine. Because we're trying to give our children something that we did not have. guard on the stairs to guard, who choose to obey in the areas that they can control, and don't consider themselves tormented because they're teenagers. I would humbly submit that that's what we have here today. Have you ever heard So, obviously, during communion, it's a great time for reflection, but I'd also encourage us to pray in that way for our two young people who are being baptized this morning, this afternoon, and also for the River Youth team that is going out to the park. for so that kind of effectiveness from the time that they are teenagers. And so, uh, I'm going to ask you guys to come forward and prepare to distribute the elements and if you would just hold the elements until we are ready to receive them together I'll share the scripture and pray and so we have a time for reflection and confession of sin and also uh, to pray for the efficacy of our young people as they minister today if, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior it's a very simple decision that changes everything it sounds like this Heavenly Father I like Daniel I want to make the right decision I'm allowed place my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, would you save me? Would you bring me into your family? Would you, according to the New Testament text, change my name? Would you change my name? Would you bring me into your family? May I be known by your name and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed a prayer like that, if you have a memory, of praying pray a prayer like that. Then I encourage you to receive communion. If you do not have that memory, Heavenly Father, there's thinking about stuff and then there's doing stuff. And today we're doing both. And so we have great expectations to see you move as we've been faithful to meet in a church service this morning. Your word says you found faithful. What.